Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not in today. Today, today is Wednesday at some point in the month of September. Second, it's the 7th of September. My mom's birthday is in two days. Yeah, I thought it was tomorrow. Oh, one day. September 8th. What is today? 7th. Tomorrow's her birthday. Yes. Nice. I'm not kidding her anything. Uh, and Carrie's birthday is Saturday. Am I right? Yes, it is. Nice. That's also her garage code. I'm totally kidding. Wouldn't that be awesome if it was? And you were like, thanks, loser. So, uh, what are we doing? Oh, we finished the Crusades, literally and figuratively. I mean, if we have another one, I'll be sure and let you guys know. But I suspect the Catholic Church is all done with a crusading. Although, if we do, hear me out. I think it would be cool if we had like a theme song, but it was like those ones they did long, long ago where they're just really bad. And it's like, let's go crusading and start a great big war, you know, and something, I don't know. Everybody's saying happy QC day. You can make that song up. What's QC day? (gasps) What? Quantum Gaggies. Right. It's QC, it's a QC day. Oh, just because. It's not like an anniversary. Because uh, if it was an anniversary, I should have bought me flowers. <laughs> right? And write me a card. No, maybe a cake. Although Dad did an interesting thing the other day. And I thought, I wonder what I've missed in life. But somebody wrote Dad a beautiful condolences card for the Uncle Dan death. I was like, my gosh, look at this. This is beautiful. And I read their handwritten thing, and it was beautiful. And I was like, way to go. And he was, yeah, but read the card. I don't, I'd never thought of, like, reading the card. Like, if I see all that handwriting, I just read the handwriting. And I don't know when this started. Like, I don't know how long I've been doing this. Now, if it's a silly card, like, if I open it and I see, you know, a cartoon cat or something, I'm going to read it because I assume it's funny. But like so many of them, you know, it's like, death is sad, we know it's bad. Don't get mad, you wonderful lad. I hate those. But this was just very beautiful. And dad loved it so much he's sneezing. Was that a sneeze or a cough? A little bit of both. Hybrid. Yeah. Hybrid. It's a hybrid. So the Crusades are done. Uh, at least from our perspective, clearly the Muslims in Nigeria disagree. Uh, Carrie, that is a totally inappropriate joke. And if you want to ask the group's forgiveness, everyone's listening. Um, and today we're going to start a series called uh, Heroes of the Faith. So obviously it's about me. Uh, I was born a young man. I was born in the hospital. I don't know why. I think I must have been sick. (laughs) Immediately in my infancy, I was perceived for my remarkable humility. Uh, Okay, but for real, we're going to look at... I picked six dudes and dudettes for us to look at. And the first one we're going to hit is Abraham. Why? Because I said so. And he's the father of the faith. Um, and obviously a key figure. Uh, Jews, Muslims, and us all consider him uh, kind of the kickstart for God revealing himself in a specific way to us. That uh, he is, in a sense, the father of Judaism. So we're going to take a look at his life because it's really wild. Um, There's so much to look at that's big it's easy to miss some of the insane little things that happen where you're just like, really? Yeah, that's Abraham. So the father of the faith, we're going to start on Abraham. And what we're going to do, we have a guest for tomorrow, but Carrie accidentally beat them up. She was drunk. So what we'll do is continue Abraham tomorrow because I suspect it'll take me two days, uh, at least. Might take me more. So uh, then on Friday, we'll be doing our live question and answer from a secret location in Scotland. Yeah? 
Yep. We should do one in Scotland. We should. Oh yeah. Except, and I don't mean. I know we have listeners in the UK. Is Scotland UK? Yes. Yes. I'm all insecure about it now. <laughs> I thought I had it down, and then I found out Ireland is not in the United Kingdom. Well, they could be a part of the disunited kingdom, so it could be like duck. Where do you live, duck? <laughs> <clears throat> My flyer. For your dock this weekend? Next, next I don't know weekend. what we're talking about. Women's. Oh, okay. Um, this is an ad for silver coins. This is some french fries I have. Well, no, these are the french fries I didn't have for lunch. Yeah. yeah. The french fries I have for lunch are here in my belly. Um, there it is. Okay. So I do want to tell you guys, uh, well, actually, you ladies, about an amazing opportunity. I got to tell you, one of the things uh, in priestly ministry, one of the most common things is, no, I don't know. Well, it's common. How's this? Father, you need to. Father, you should. Father, we need to, which is translated, you need to. <laughs> Well, not here at Holy Family. We have some extraordinary women here who've been working, studying, praying, and they came to me. I'm just like, wow, Father, this is what we'd like to do. And they wanted to pray through it and talk. And my only suggestion to, that I, I suggested they change is that they don't change anything. But don't bring this to me in the future because I'll ruin it. Like, I'll draw stickmen on the plans. But so what am I talking about? On September 17th this year, from 9 to 11 a.m., all the women in our parish and any ladies listening are invited to come to the St. Joseph Hall at Holy Family. And what they're going to do for that two hours, there's going to be food. I'll be there. Well, so since I'll be there, you probably won't get any food. Uh, but know this, before I got there, there was food. Um, and they're going to talk about different ways uh, the ladies in our church or in our digital parish can come together and grow in holiness and, and in a sense of community with each other. Uh, I really can't encourage you strongly enough to come. It's September 17th from 9 to 11. And for any of you dudes who are listening who have a dude at, may I humbly suggest that you do what you gotta to make this happen for your beloved. Yeah? It is worth missing a practice or a game because uh, this is the real stuff. So do we have a thinger in our bulletin this weekend? Yeah, and we'll okay. make some announcements. But again, you are the keynote speaker. So. I'm the keynote speaker. <laughs> Do they know I'm asking for like 20 grand? Well, yeah. we're still in negotiations. You weren't here asking. Yeah, and I'm okay with pesos. <laughs> um, it was funny. You know, there's a whole, do you people know this? Like there's this whole world in Catholicism of people who make their living by selling their ministry. Did you know this? <laughs> that kind of creeps me out. Like we were, there was a speaker we wanted to come to one of my assignments, and they were like, "Sure, it's twenty-seven thousand dollars." I'm like, "How long are you going to be here?" <laughs> like I thought he was taking over the parish for a year, because that's about you know post taxes. That's <laughs> no, I'll be there for one night. Oh, I have guns and ammo. But anyway, uh, why did I go there? What are we talking about? Do you remember? Oh, I said I required 20. Okay. So, uh, ladies, please consider this. I really think it's something you'll enjoy and find fruitful. Um, one of the things I'm realizing more and more is whatever the quarantine was supposed to do, the fact that it was as long as it was clearly damaged us in ways that it's going to take us a long time to get over. Humans were not meant to do this, right? Look at Black Death. It wiped out 40% of Europe, minimum. Um, they didn't quarantine. And again, they should have, but not for a year. Uh, that messed us up. And more and more, I hear from people who are longing to go back to church 
I just can't. For some reason, they got out of practice and that fear has consumed them. We all forget that, forgive my crudeness, death is going to happen. You cannot get around it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really messing us up, guys. And I think this is a good time for us to say, okay, I'm stepping out. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go to the women's gathering, September 7th. Only women. Guys, I heard you just now. They were like, sweet, checks, no! Okay. There's only one man that will be there. There's only one man that'll be there. I'll be there too. <laughs> yeah, there's only one man that's gonna be there, dad. But dad said I can go. So please, ladies, consider this. Check it out. Uh, you don't commit to anything. Uh, but I want to be clear, if you go all in, this is a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> you can use your Facebook page and make millions of dollars. So... <laughs> Sorry. Please tell me people are laughing at that. Like, I gotta say this, this is so out of control, but I was driving, I swear, on Dort Highway real recently, and someone had handwritten a sign, like, badly. Uh, and it was the two little metal flexible posts that you stick in the ground, you got me? Like, a, almost like a realtor sign. But this one, in a marker, was like, you can make $2,400 a week, call me at, and I'm like, well, if you're making that much, you should make a good sign. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like your first clue, this isn't legit, is I don't know if I'm making 20, if I can, if I'm doing something that is so successful that I want to hire you and you can make 2,400 a week, I think I can afford a sign. <laughs> I mean, am I crazy? <laughs> they even had one I saw and it was, we buy houses and again, like crayon and paper, and I'm like, what kind of houses? I'll give you $5 for that down house. I ain't kidding, I got the cash right here. Okay. <laughs> They're really, have you seen these? They're all over Door Highway. It's like, you can make $1,800 a week from home. Clearly, hopefully by making signs, because your signs suck. Okay. Welcome to Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Wednesday. Oh, and good news. For those of you who were afflicted by my homily this Sunday, I want to say two things. First of all, and I'm looking at you in case you have to cut the mic, but it is kind of funny. It hit me right before the first time I gave that homily this weekend where it's all about don't let your wealth control you. That I gave that homily on Labor Day weekend and half our parish was gone to their second home. I'm like, I should have done it next week. Is that terrible to say? I did think it was funny. Like, it was all I thought about during mass. I'm like, I'm giving this to the wrong people. All us, all us poor people, like, without second homes. Give more. Thanks, Father. Yeah. What was the other thing about it? Oh, and it was a hard homily to give. Like, two weeks in a row, I had to punch. And I'm like, Jesus, when I, Sunday, when I went home to look at next Sunday's gospel, I'm like, if you do this again, I, we're not friends. No, it's a good, nice gospel. It's the, I really like you, Jesus. As opposed to last week's Jesus, who was like, there's too many of you following me. <laughs> right? Isn't that great? Jesus sees the great crowds with him. And you and I would be like, we are kicking butt. Not Jesus. He's like, huh. Hey, if you want to come after me, you have to hate everybody and want to die. Oh, okay. We're going to go follow the other guy. <laughs> Jesus, worst salesman ever. Really. Right. <laughs> and you ever think about, like, I almost preached on this, but it just, it's, it's not going to help. Uh, like, growing spiritually. But where he says, if anyone doesn't take up their cross and follow after me, they're not worthy of me. We're so used to that image, we don't think about how awful that is. Like, nobody there, I can't think of anything equivalent in our society, except for if Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, 
Let them drink a gallon of poison and sit in an electric chair and follow me. I mean, that's, we're used to it. That image, oh, take up your cross, you know, and it's always a nice, neat cross. And it's like, no, they, that's an, you don't die of crucifixion. You die of exposure or your heart just blows up because of the torture. It is a way to torture you to death. And he's telling people, <laughs> yeah, grab that thing. Come on. <laughs> All right. I've been messing around. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. Has everybody left? No. Okay. The multi-level marketing thing didn't kill us. <laughs> Steve Goers enjoyed it. Nice. Hey, Steve. Thank you for enjoying it. And do our UK friends have this? Like, those people who are on Facebook, it's like... And it's okay. I think multi level marketing has to be everywhere, right? Oh my gosh. But it's like, how do you convince someone, no, this time it'll work? <laughs> right? That there's been 800 different products and product lines where they're like, just release a post every day and get 10 of your friends to, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's not going to work. Okay. I actually lost a friend in college to Amway. Oh. Did I tell you about this? No. <clears throat> He's quitting school because someone convinced him he could make a ton of money selling Amway. Do you remember this, Dad? Yeah. So, like, four of us sat him down with, like, brah. No, 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 no. He didn't believe me. <laughs> Ask me if he's still working for Amway. No! All right. Here we go. Let's look at Abraham. <laughs> We're going to start talking about Abraham in the New Testament. Why? Because you may remember when we were doing some of the early Christianity things, I was pointing out that Christianity and Judaism were not separate. They were considered the same thing. Uh, Christianity, as we call it, was just a branch of Judaism to the point where they didn't call them Christians yet. They called them way Jews. Okay, way, like W-A-Y, not fat ones. Did anyone find that funny? Got it. It isn't way like, I remember Little Miss something set on something, eating curds and, Little Miss Muffet set on a Tuffet, eating her curds and she ate Christians. That poem is evil. Uh, I'm sorry. You guys, it's, and it's not even that I'm hyper. I'm not as hyper as usual, but my brain is in overdrive. Uh -oh. Little Miss Muffet eating Christians. <laughs> okay. Uh, they were called Way Jews. How did I get to Little... Oh, Way. All right. Uh, so they started to separate when Rome captured Jerusalem. And the idea in Jewish, Jewish theology, if something like that happens, it's because you sinned. God punished you. So something bad happened because you did something bad. And the best theory they had was it's these new Jews. They're bad Jews. They're not Jews. And that's where you see the separation. And there was bitterness and hurt on both sides, as you can imagine. So think of the shock that at that point in the development of Christianity, somebody starts writing about Abraham. Right, the uh, great Jew. I was going to say the greatest Jew that ever lived. Nope, that's Moses. But Abraham, the father of Judaism, and they hold him up as a model of Christianity. So let's take a look at it. It's in the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. 613. That's my anniversary. Yes. June 13th. Look, see, I'm doing this. Okay. <clears throat> For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Abraham replied, My name is not Shirley. I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Does anyone think this is as funny as I do? Excellent. Can you see that conversation between, Surely I will bless you. No, 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 I'm Abraham. All right. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, I love this line, Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Right. Uh, and, it, and it goes on with this idea in Hebrews of holding up Abraham as a model of the faith. 
Uh, and, and why? Well, because Abraham, what you're going to see, I hope, Abraham doesn't get everything right. And he does some, frankly, things where you and I are like, oh, brawl. But one thing he gets right, he believed God to do what he said. And it's that simple. God made him a promise, and Abraham hung on to it. Every once in a while, Abraham would do a, any time now, Lord, if you want. But he waited, and he believed. Abraham's obedience and faith are what make him unbelievably great. And we have to keep in mind that this is the first monotheistic religion in the world. What does that mean? It's the first religion in the development of humans where someone said, no, there's one God and you can only worship him. There might have been Canaanites who said, uh, we believe in your God, but they also believed in their gods. And there's only one God at this point. And again, Christianity is the only one that followed it through Islam, Judaism, Christianity, no others that tied your personal conduct to your faith. What Abraham, what God brought the world through Abraham was shockingly unique. And you and I are so used to it. I don't know if we can fathom how insane this came across to people. Uh, you worship the gods and that's it. You don't have to act a certain way. If you decide to be a good person, it's just because that helps society to work. Or because you might believe philosophically, it's the right thing to do. For Abraham, what he blows us away with is God's revelation of himself to us as, I'm the only God, or at first in particular, I'm the only one that matters. It might have just been too much for people to bear. It's not really till Isaiah where God starts making it super clear, I'm the only one. Right? In the commandments, what does he say? Don't have other gods before me. I'm the Lord, your God. Okay? Uh, Why? Well, I don't know if people could have processed that <laughs> before. But Abraham and, and these, these great Jews brought us this idea. God gave it to us, of course, through them that if you want to be mine, you have to behave in a certain way. And how is that way? Well, with virtue, with goodness, you have to obey me. I made you, I can tell you how to live. And I'm telling you how to live, not by picking random things and saying, don't do that, but by naming for you that which damages you and saying, don't do that. It damages you. How are we doing? This is why Abraham is of unspeakable importance. And even in a school system that I found very hostile to maybe traditional Christianity, even in that university system, professors acknowledge, whatever you believe, uh, Abraham is of monumental importance because this is monotheism's first sales pitch to the world. And the only religion that was saying, if you love God, you will obey God in terms of your code of conduct. Yeah? And since the defining trait of Abraham's relationship with God is obedience, we see that obedience is of epic importance to Judaism, ergo to Christianity. We good? All right. So with that, let's launch this missile. So Abraham was born April 7th. I'm just kidding. We don't know when he was born. We know his dad's name was Terah, T-E-R-A-H, and that he is, now get this, Terah is the ninth descendant from Noah. So you've got Noah and the flood, and then there were nine steps down or up. I don't know what you say. What would that be, up or down? Back. Back. Or er, okay. No, forward. Yeah, okay. Right? Or no? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Noah, nine steps, Terah. Okay. And Terah's son was Abraham or Abram. I got to keep that in mind. I'm going to keep screwing that up. His name is not Abraham. Not yet. It's Abram. Okay. He uh, was known for making tanks. 
No. I actually never knew that he was 10 steps from Noah. Yeah, nine, I think. No, you're right, 10. Yeah. Yeah, his pop is nine. So uh, it goes like this. Ninth in descent from Noah was the father of Abram, uh, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran was the father of Lot, who we're going to bump into a lot who was Abraham's nephew. The entire family lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which is what we call Iraq now. Uh, Haran died in his native city, Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham married Sarai, who was barren. So you're thinking Abraham and Sarah, right? But at this point, it's Abram and Sarai, okay? Sarai means princess. Do you know this, right? And it's kind of funny. God changes her name to Sarah, which means my princess. I love that. Uh, so, Terah, Abraham, Sarai, and Lot departed for Canaan, uh, but they settled uh, in a different place on the way there, and Terah died. But God had told Abraham, leave the country and your kindred and go to a land I'll show you. He doesn't even tell him where. Uh, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and I will bless everyone that blesses you and curse anyone who curses you. So God makes this really cool promise to an old man married to a woman who is barren. And what's the promise? Go there. I'll show you when you get there. And I'm going to make your name great, and you're going to have descendants. You're going to be the father of a great nation. So Abraham at this point was 75. Uh, and they just took their stuff and headed for Canaan. Now, the Bible doesn't go into this much uh, because people would have known it. But think about the power of this. He's 75. Now, people lived much longer back then, the Bible tells us. Uh, and he doesn't even know where he's going. He just knows God's going to show him. And think about the connection then. And I want you to think about this a lot between God and Abram. That bond is so strong that Abraham can just set off and trust that, oh, I'm going to go there, right? That the Lord's going to nudge him, guide him, lead him. It's not a straight line from Iraq to what we call Israel now, okay? So what's the first big story after the promise? And it, I, I never know what's going to horrify you guys or shock you, but here we go. They do get to Canaan, but when they found, when they got there, a famine had hit, right? So the Lord was like, yeah, over here. They get there and they're like, yeah, famine. So they did what everybody did, go to Egypt, right? Going to head to Egypt. Now on the way, Abram uh, told Sarai that if we meet anybody important, I'm going to say you're my sister, why? Because Abram was kind of convinced. Sarah was so pretty. He thought, well, they're going to kill me and take her. So when they got to, to Egypt, the Pharaoh, his officials were like, holy cow, she's beautiful. And <laughs> sorry about this, ladies. Abram swapped her for some food and stuff. So basically it was Pharaoh. Yeah, you can sleep with my sister. Uh, if we get some food and things. So Pharaoh sleeps. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can see your face. Gary. I didn't do this. Abram did. And he does it again later. Uh, he swaps his wife to the Pharaoh for stuff. Um, and you might think, well, what did Sarah think of this? Oh, I bet she was really not happy. Um, just going by what little I understand of women. Uh, there's certain things you can predict. One, don't trade your wife for food. It's rude. Uh, but he did. Um, what ended up happening? God, you're going to love this. And this is, okay. God afflicts Pharaoh and his household with plagues. Uh, so Pharaoh's like, what happened? What did I do wrong? And he found out Sarai was married to Abraham. And he, you know, Pharaoh just did probably the nicest thing he could. Uh, get out. Right? Leave. You made me commit adultery. And now I'm getting punished. Now, I have a prop, or I had a prof. He's with the Lord now at seminary who always pointed this out. And it's really fascinating. If you want, file this away. God clearly likes Sarai. 
And I mean in a good way. I, she gets away with a lot. God's defensive of her. I think that's a good way to put it. And it's kind of funny. And my prof pointed out, God did this on purpose, right? That, again, despite what you were taught, Judaism elevated the status of women in a way other cultures at that time didn't. Um, that we look at this and we're like, they do crazy barbaric things. Yeah, but Judaism, if you were going to be a woman in the Middle East, you wanted to be a Jew, right? And not because it was awesome, but it was certainly better than anywhere else. Uh, it really wasn't until, okay, stop. But we'll see a few times Sarai does something and God defends her and you're like, really? Yeah. Uh, he likes her. She's a favy. She's a favorite. That's why God changes her name from princess to my princess, which is very sweet. Yeah. So God, or God, Pharaoh kicks Sarah, uh, Sarai and Abram out of Egypt because of the whole, I slept with your wife by accident thing because you tricked me and now God's ticked. You know, the oldest play in the book. All right. So now Abram and Lot settle in the Negev. And they came back to a couple, I'm not going to bother you. I always want to say the city names, they don't matter. But here's the thing. God blessed them. Uh, their herds did well. Their flocks did great. Things are going good. Except Abraham's and Lot's sheep and goats and all this started having trouble because there was so much of them and they were sharing land. And, you know, sometimes what they found was the herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen would throw hands, right? They, they'd get into fights over, well, that's my sheep's grass or that area belongs to my cattle. And you get me. And this is really where you see just how wonderful Abraham, Abram can be. Right? There's many times where you go, oh, he's a sweetie. He is. Uh, that conflict got so bad that Abram suggested to Lot this. All right, here's the right. Here's the left. Let's split up. Right? We don't want to break our relationship. And we don't want, there's a spider. Do you see him? Uh, and we don't know. He's like right hanging in the middle of the room, right in oh, front of the camera. Too, yes. Yeah. Oh, look at the boo. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, so they agreed, crap, we got to split up. You know, we're, we're brother, or uh, what do you say, uncle, nephew. But if we stay together, our dudes will kill each other, and then we'll get in a fight. Now, by any standard of the day, Abraham gets first pick, right? Do you want to go right or left? No, Abram's a sweetie, and I mean this. Uh, he said, no, you pick. Right? You're the younger guy. Let's get you established. So Lot, of course, being a young man, went, that area looks great. That area looks crappy. I'll take the great one. He went eastward toward Jordan, where the land was well watered. Okay, that's what it says. Yeah, he picked the good stuff. Uh, and in there, he decided, oh, here's a nice, do you see him now? He's climbing, yes. little dude. Oh, um, you should think about how much work that guy put in. Yeah. Right? Like the other morning, I went out of the house and a spider had made a web between those two metal poles on our porch. I'm like, that's a lot of work. And I couldn't knock it down. I couldn't. I walked around it. I'm like, that guy worked his butt off. And I don't know how long spiders live, but it can't be that long. So, what percentage of his life, his existence, was spent building this web? And me, huh? Couldn't do it. What were you talking about? Oh. So where does Lot decide to settle? A city you may have heard of, uh, Sodom. Uh, and just so you know, that story does not end well. <laughs> so he and his tribe settle in this very lush green area. Uh, and he stays right outside of the town of Sodom. Now, you need to know uh, that this was a common way of living. Basically, people fell into two categories back then. Herdsmen and farmers. And of course, I'm speaking very generally. Farmers lived in a city uh, with traders, right? Uh, with a D, not a T, like people who traded things. Okay. Um, and that was city life. You had a farm and you maybe had a booth or something in the city or maybe even a house there. Um, and those walled cities, if they were walled, had a well nearby. And that formed usually the basis of the town. 
But then you also had roving people, these herdsmen, who just went wherever there's grass. And then they would, when they get to your town, maybe kill some sheep and sell them to you, or just sell you the sheep for you to kill and eat, uh, whatever it may be. Um, uh, he, he was a wanderer, right? Um, so in the end, Abram settles to the south of Hebron and at the plain of Mamre, where he built an altar to the Lord. And then the Lord appeared to him and kind of, let me find it real quick. Um, oops, wrong Bible. And while he was there, Abraham built this um, altar and here it is. Then God said to him, the Lord then said to Abram, look about you from where you are, gaze to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth. If anyone could count the dust of the earth, your descendants too might be counted. Get up, walk through the land across its length and breadth, for I give it to you. Abram moved his tents and went to settle near the Oak of Mamre, which is in Hebron. There he built an altar to the Lord. So Abram did a generous and sweet thing. I, I don't know a better way to put it. And took the lesser land. Um, and when he did that, the Lord said to him, this is all yours. Now, this is going to drive some of you nuts. I just ask you to kind of deal, right? When we talk to religious Jews in Israel, and I can tell you, all the political reasons Israel exists, and they're darn good ones, right? Europe proved for 1,500 years that Jews have no safe place of their own. So this is, right, why Israel was established, reestablished in 1948. Um, but make no mistake, when you talk to religious Jews in Israel, many of the ones I talk to, they're like, no, God gave us this land. It has nothing to do with politics. This is our land. Well, why don't you give the Palestinians this chunk in exchange for peace, which they've done numerous times. When they don't do it, it's because the religious Jews are like, that's not ours to give away. God gave this to Abraham. That's ours. You get me? And that's a big factor we often miss um, because we do that whole thing Americans do. You're only allowed to be insanely pro-Palestinian and anti-Jew or insanely pro-Israel and insanely anti-Palestinian. When it turns out both are humans and there's a good way for people to figure out how to live in peace that isn't an extreme uh, but make no mistake, one of the things the state of Israel has to contend with, being, I don't know, the only democracy there, uh, is they have voters who are like, well, you can't give that land away. That's ours. God gave it to us. When did he give it to you? Um, Abraham. Okay. And that's a real argument. Okay. You doing good? All right. So at this point, and I'm not going to bother you with the details, war breaks out. Um, and uh, it was kind of a rebellion. Sodom and Gomorrah kind of teamed up, went to war with uh, someone else. And again, I'm not going to bother you with the names. There was a war. Sodom and Gomorrah were involved. Sodom and Gomorrah lost. And the army that defeated them then came into, uh, these were Elamites, by the way. Elamites were the ones that defeated them. Came into Sodom and Gomorrah, looted and pillaged. And as part of that, they took Lot and his family. Okay, So the Elamite army grabbed Lot and his family and, you know, burned and pillaged and all this. Well, one person we know escaped the carnage and got to Abram and told him what happened. Your nephew just got taken as a spoil of war. So Abram got together like 300 and some, I think it was 318 of his uh, servants that were trained to fight. Let's go. And they started chasing the Elamite army. Um, now the Elamite army, it says, was wore down from carrying the spoils of war. And Abram's dudes caught them at Dan. 
Uh, and he came up with this idea, let's split our forces, which is usually not a good idea when you're this outnumbered. Uh, but they did, and they attacked at night. When they did, they captured the Elamite king and slaughtered him and pretty much obliterated the Elamite army and saved Lot and his family and all his stuff. So what the Bible tells us is that uh, they didn't just free Lot and his family. They didn't just get Lot and his family's stuff back. They got all the stuff that the Elamites stole from Sodom and Gomorrah. Does that make sense? All right. This battle is really important because of what happens afterward. Um, in this area, uh, outside, after the battle, Sodom's king came out to meet him, to thank him. And with him came the, a dude, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which, that's Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, the city of the Salems, right? Uh, he was a priest, and he brought out bread and wine and blessed Abraham and God. And this is where we meet Melchizedek for the first time. And he becomes a bit of a, an obsession in Judaism and Christianity. So I think I told you this before. When I was ordained a priest, uh, there was a point in the ordination where you lay face down on the floor. And they, they invoke the intercessions of the saints. And they also sing this, this line from the Psalms. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. Okay? You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. And uh, Melchizedek becomes of epic importance, even though this is all that's ever said of him. This is it. Why is he important? Um, because he is no, believed to be Noah's son, Shem. Okay, who went on to be in the Three Stooges. Shem. Oh, sorry. The key is that when the flood destroyed the earth, Noah and his sons um, carried much with them. They carried, of course, the animals to repopulate the earth. They carried all this stuff. But his son Shem carried the priesthood. And what was he doing now? giving that priesthood to Abraham, Abram. This is super important to us. Uh, this is the bread and wine that you and I consecrate at mass. Well, that I consecrate. You people watch. Just kidding. So this bread and wine and this transition of the priesthood is extremely important. Now, Abram carries the priesthood within him. Right, And he gives that to his son Isaac, who gives that to his son Jacob, who gives that to his son Levi. And that's really important for us. We believe this. So um, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had. Okay? Uh, the king of Sodom then offered to let Abram keep all the possessions if he would merely return his people. Right, uh, No problem. Uh, Except Abraham refused any deal from the king of Sodom other than the share to which his allies were entitled. So what did he do? Remember how I told you Abraham got everybody's stuff back? Well, the king of Sodom was like, you're going to have the stuff. Just let me have my people that you liberated back. And he was like, no, that's okay. I'm going to keep them. Okay. So Abraham and Sarai in Egypt... He's not the bravest dude. Abraham with an army behind him? Yeah, he's, he's cool making a stand. Yeah. And what was this stand? No, oh, this is mine. Now, it's the Bible makes clear. There were people, men from Sodom, who joined Abram in liberating Lot, and he divided stuff up with them. Right? But the king of Sodom, who lost the battle and didn't help? No, 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 no. That's our stuff. Peace out. Okay. How are we doing? Yeah, how's the time? 
Okay, and are people happy? Yes. Okay, good. Um, let's get to the covenant. Okay. Now we get to what's called the covenant of the pieces. Now this might be a little much, but just stick with me. Okay. Um, I'm going to first quickly summarize, right? Abram, uh, the Lord appeared to him. Abraham didn't complain or anything, but suddenly the Lord appeared to him. Don't fear, Abram. I am your shield. I will make your reward very great. Abraham has done everything the Lord said. And so the Lord just kind of does a cameo. Hey, man, I got you. Don't be afraid. But Abraham takes this moment and he says, okay, Lord. But what can you give me if I die, die childless? Uh, and he kind of goes on. Look, you made some promises here, Lord. Um, and um, right now, the only possibility I have is a son with my slave girl, which, forgive me, ladies, that was considered normal. Uh, and I'm sorry. I know that's wretched, but that's how it was. And then God said, and I love this, quote, God took him outside. And you're going to see this a lot with God and Abraham. God, like, is there. And it's really cool to think of how close these two were. And we're going to see a lot of this. Just the utter closeness of their relationship. Abraham can say crap to God that no one else can. <laughs> and God can literally say to Abraham, all right, get his arm around him. Come on, let's go outside. It's so beautiful to think of that relationship. It's supposed to remind you and I of God and Adam, right? God and Adam, quote, would walk together in the cool mist of the garden. I get goosebumps, right? Just thinking of that. Be like, hey, God, yeah. can you do something about the tigers? <laughs> so then God takes him outside and says, look up at the sky, count the stars, just so will your descendants be. Now, God keeps jacking up his promises, right? He just started with a simple promise. And the more ridiculous the possibility comes, the more God gets poetic. It's really cool. Now, here's a great line. Ready? Abram put his faith in the Lord, who attributed that to him as an act of righteousness. But Abraham was like, okay. I got you. You said you'll do it. You're going to do it. And I love that, that God then chalked that up under righteousness. Way to go, chief. You got, you're, you're getting it. Um, so then the Lord said, kind of gives him his history. Remember who I am. I'm the guy who, when you were in frickin' Ur of the Chaldees and didn't know my name, I said, come with me. And uh, the Lord said, quote, and this is where we're going to start quoting. Bring me a three-year-old heifer. That's a, a three-year-old child who's very fat. I'm just kidding. Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and a partridge. And I'm just kidding. The partridge, no. Abraham brought all of these animals, split them in two, and placed each half opposite the other, but the birds he did not cut up. Birds of prey swooped down on the carcasses, but Abraham scared them away. As the sun was about to set, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and a great dark dread descended upon him. The Lord then said to Abraham, Know for certain your descendants will reside as aliens in a land not their own, where they shall be enslaved and oppressed for about 400 years. I love that the Lord says for about... But I will bring judgment on any nation they must serve, and after this they will go out with great wealth. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace. You will be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return here, for the wickedness of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had set and it was dark, there appeared a smoking fire pot and flaming torch that passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant. It's not just a promise anymore. Check that out. The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the, and a bunch of other dudes whose names I made it hard to pronounce. Okay, so Abraham takes these, what do you say? Uh, animals, where did they go? And he cuts them in half. Why is that? What was that? 
It's the idea of blood and guts. Okay. I will walk through blood and guts to keep this covenant. And if anyone doesn't, they will be the blood and guts. You give me, it is a violent and scary image on purpose. Um, it's to, if you can't keep the covenant out of respect, keep it out of fear. Keep it out of fear. Yeah. Um, so excuse the image, but then the, the, the fiery torch and incense kind of got going through it. That was the Lord. The Lord walked through the blood and guts. May this happen to me if I don't keep this covenant. It's a a powerful image. God is not saying you will make a covenant. He's saying, I'm making a covenant. You're with me. And your answer is yes, sir. Yeah? Yes, sir. Why did dread come upon him? Because God was there. Um, And you're like, well, God loves us. Yeah, my dog loves me. But if he was 50 pounds heavier, I'd be terrified of him. Yeah. Power is power. Um, I, I just thought of this. That's probably a dumb image. I don't know. But uh, when I first moved here, literally the first 10 minutes I moved here, I met with JV and I didn't meet any of you guys yet because I, I hadn't been assigned. I, nobody knew I was coming yet. So I brought Marius because Jer said we got a fenced in yard. Okay, which at that point, Marius was younger and extremely active. He was a runner, right? Now he's in a coma 23 hours of the day. In the other hour, he's napping. Uh, But we opened that backyard, and this is a true story. Without 10 seconds pause, Marius ran up the stairs, jumped on that wall, walked like this along the wall, jumped into the driveway and ran out on Saginaw Street. Holy cow. I yelled, I won't do it because it'll freak him out. Marius, no! And I, I was enraged and terrified. Now, a Ford Mustang literally went sideways in black traffic. Sweetest thing I've ever seen. This guy got out and helped kind of shoo him over to me. I must have been terrifying in that moment. But not because I was angry because I love that stupid dog. And he was about, if you know Saginaw Highway, I'm using the word highway, right? It's mostly high school kids texting on their phone and driving dad's car, right? Uh, It's unbelievable that he wasn't killed. And I know I scared him with the way I yelled, but it was love. Yeah, I don't want him hurt. That's the dread Abraham experienced. This this is all love and all power, and it's coming for me. And the Lord prophesied. Well, I don't know if the Lord prophesied. The Lord flat out told him what was going to happen. So this is a big moment. That's called the covenant of the pieces. Okay. Um, now, here's where, how are we? Should I stop? I don't know. About four minutes. Okay, well, let's do this. We're going to real quick look at the birth of Ishmael. Now, if you're like, who's Ishmael? If you've read Moby Dick, that's not him. Right? Isn't that the first line, call me Ishmael? Ishmael is of epic importance, not for who he is, frankly, but for who his descendants are, and we'll get into that. But the shortest possible version of this is Abraham, Abram and Sarai, Trying to make sense of, you know, the whole going to have a ton of kids thing. We're both senior citizens and my wife is barren. How are we going to pull this off? We've been here 10 years and nothing seems to happen. So then Sarai brings her Egyptian slave Hagar to Abram Abram, and says, sleep with her. And he's a man. So he's like, okay. So Hagar gets pregnant with Abram's baby. Uh, Forgive the crudeness, ladies. Proving it's Sarah, which in that culture meant, well, leave her. Just, you're no longer my wife. He doesn't. I I love Abram. I do. But this is kind of where you go, Sarah, what, Sarah, what the heck? And the Lord defends her. She brings him her slave girl, sleep with her. Maybe she'll get pregnant. She does. Sarai gets ticked, right? She's angry. 
And then Hagar starts to feel pretty good about herself, right? Oh, you couldn't give him a child? I can. Which, as you can imagine, any woman's just going to love. So Sarai <laughs> abuses Hagar, uh, and she flees into the wilderness, right? She runs off into the... Whenever they say the wilderness, don't think of, like, northern Michigan. Um, think more like of just wasteland. And the wasteland, the wilderness to the Jews, was a bit of a terrifying place. Well, everybody back then. There's nothing green here. So only dead things are probably come walking around. An angel appeared to Hagar and told her to get back to Abram's camp. And then he told him, your son to be born, quote, will be a wild ass of a man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he will dwell in the face of all his brethren. Okay, so the angel tells him, tells her, go back, you're going to have a kid, and he's going to be nuts, right? Everyone's going to fight him, he's going to fight everyone, and he won't leave. He's going to be right in your grill, 24-7, okay? So she named her son Ishmael, um, and Hagar then called God who spoke to her that day, uh, El-Hra, or God sees me. Right, poor Hagar, right, just running away from an abusive mistress, getting punished for doing what she was told to do, and then finds out, you know, you're not alone. God came to me and told me I'm going to be okay. Uh, so she, she called that God, who we call the Lord, she called him, God sees me. I love that. Uh, from that day onward, that's what they called the well where she, where the angel ministered to her, they called it the well of him that lives and sees me. Uh, she returned to her mistress, uh, had her child. Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. My man. That's probably a good place to stop. So I hope you see Sarah is not, Sarah is not perfect. Abraham's not perfect. Abram's not perfect. But they tried. And they believed the Lord. Uh, and I love that, right? Sarai, that was kind of messed up what she did. But, you know, and if you read it, you'll see she chews out Abram. You know, like, how dare you? What the, you told me, right? Uh, I think that's kind of like when women now say, sure. <laughs> yeah, honey, uh, do you care if I go out with my friends? No, oh, go ahead. No, she doesn't mean go ahead. So, what we'll look at next is when God changes Abram's name to Abraham. We'll do this tomorrow. And now I don't know if we'll get it done in two days because you guys messed around so much at the beginning of this show when I was trying to get you focused and on task. <laughs> but I love Abraham. I hope you do too. Um, yeah, and he does more of this stuff. There's going to be more stuff he does where you're like, brah. And there's going to be more stuff he does where you're like, bro. <laughs> um, and uh, we'll, we'll go, like, I'll list the names for you tomorrow. I wrote them down, and I'll be honest, it's slipping my head. I know we're going to do Abram, King David, Judith, Esther, and then the other two I can't remember for sure. But... Oh, Becky. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't it be awesome? Seriously, right in the middle of the New Testament. And Shalowith gave birth to Becky. <laughs> All right. So uh, I will see you beautiful people tomorrow where we'll continue our discussion on Abraham and Sarah or Abram and Sarai. Uh, and uh, I guess that's what I have to say. All right. Salad pray. There was something I wanted to tell people. I don't know. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for Abram. Thank you for Sarai. Thank you for their humanity. Thank you for their love of you, their obedience of you, their obedience to you. And thank you, Lord, that they were a little bit train wrecky, too. Because so are we. And we love the intensity of your commitment to this covenant. And may we reflect that intensity as best we can with your help. Please bless all our comings and goings. 
And please help us to hear you and follow you and to trust. We don't need to worry that if we if we want to do what you want and if we give you permission to get you where you need us, then we need not worry. Am I getting it right? Yeah. If you've given it to the Lord, you've got it right. Father, you know the people we love very much and we worry about them all the time. And you know all those circumstances in our lives that we fret about and we carry around Well, we give all of it to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you people tomorrow. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.